So many cool things going on. It has been uh, fun. Hopefully you've enjoyed this series as we talk about heroes. And uh, we have had a cool time of diving in. What's been interesting is I found each story uh, a different way to kind of tell the story for that particular hero. So if you were with us a few weeks ago and we talked about Joseph, Joseph's story covers 13 chapters in the scriptures. So if I just taught 13 chapters, we'd still be on Joseph and we wouldn't have gone home yet today. And so we walked through the story of Joseph and I, and I just kind of told the story uh, narrative style and it was fun, a little bit different. Some of you are like, oh, get in the Bible more. Don't worry, we'll do that a lot today. And, uh, uh, but I was like, you have to go read the story. And then last week we actually met Rahab. She came out and talked uh, for a while and, uh, and we walked through Rahab's story. If you missed last week, you should go check it out. You'll, uh, you'll dig that on the podcast. It was pretty incredible. And then this week we are gonna walk into Noah's story and I'm going to try something a little bit different, and some of you are going to hate it, and some of you are going to love it. Um, send all your emails to Andrew underscore F at ccpualup.com, and uh, let him know what you think about it. Uh, but this week, I'm going to brace you early. This, if you're listening on the podcast, it may not come through on the podcast quite as well um, as it will hopefully in the room, because there's going to be a lot of video uh, pieces, and we're going to pull from some fun uh, video in the story of Noah, and so it's going to be a little bit different that way. So I'm bracing you for impact. So if you're one of those, oh, I hate video uh, creativity, you can just check out right now, get your phone out, um, start posting angry things on Facebook, <laughs> whatever it is that you like to do. But that's kind of what we're, uh, we're going to do a little bit later through this message and hopefully enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, like I said, let Andrew know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're walking through this series about heroes, and we've been talking about how, how different things are seen as heroic in our culture today. And sometimes um, if you're great at hitting a ball with a bat or a tennis racket, someone might call you heroic or a hero. If you are willing to walk out onto thin ice and rescue a puppy, someone might call you a hero but we've always landed on this truth that sometimes a sandwich is a hero. And so we don't know how to identify what's heroic anymore. Our language doesn't allow us to do it. So we've been looking through these stories of faith in the Bible that, that have been identified for, throughout history as people who had heroic capacity and did heroic things. And we've been looking for traits inside of their stories that show us their heroism. And today we're going to talk about Noah. And with Noah, oftentimes we talk about faith because he's in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, the heroes of faith. But today I want to talk specifically about this idea of obedience. And for some of you, if the idea of some video in the service didn't get you shut down, the word obedience has already caused your mind to leave the building. And uh, so come back to me for just a moment. Let's dance with this idea. I can tell you something about obedience. I never liked this concept and struggle with it myself. And here's why. I grew up in an environment where obedience was enforced in a way that wasn't always positive, in a way that was tough. And so obedience became something you did to avoid punishment. And if that's what obedience is in your head, then when I talk about obedience, you will immediately become defensive. You'll immediately become uh, uh, braced for impact, so to speak. And you'll be looking for me to lob a series of volleys at you to somehow 
spank you into submission, even with my words. That's simply not what we're going to talk about today, but we will dive into why people feel that way. Noah's story is an incredible story about obedience, but I didn't catch a heart for obedience from Noah. I actually caught a heart for obedience from Jesus's words. You see, the thing about obedience is obedience is the outward expression of an inward decision that I've made. Obedience is the thing that happens on the outside because I've made a decision to do something on the inside. You can tell if my obedience level is high, not by what I say, but by what I do. Many of you have experience with people who have said something and not done that thing, and that is a person who you would not say was strong at follow-through or obedience. Obedience is connected to behavior, being acted out, but it starts on the inside. So here's where I caught a heart for obedience. John chapter 14. Jesus is talking, and he says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will what? Wow. That's harsh, Jesus. Like, I have to obey? I thought the Jesus stuff was like, woo-woo, we're all in. You love me just like I am. It's awesome. Yeah, here's Jesus saying, if anyone loves me, he will or they will obey my teaching. Hmm. John 3.16, that's the same author, says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's, there's no obedience that's happened before love. That's confusing, right? And here's Jesus saying, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Then he says, my father will love them. Okay, this just got bigger. He says, there's a relational connection between your love becoming your obedience and transitioning to your relationship with God. My father will love them. And then look what happens. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Hold on a second. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. You'll experience the love of the father. And then something will happen. The father and I will come and be near to you and make our home with you. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying, I didn't make this up. This isn't 30 years of human experience. This is biblical spiritual truth about the nature of God. There is a connection to hearing the word of God, obeying the word of God, and experiencing the presence of God. And obedience began to change in me as it became connected to God's presence. I wanted to experience the presence of God. And because I wanted to experience the presence of God, I was excited at the opportunity to obey God. And because I was excited at the opportunity of obeying God, I began to obey God. And then guess what I experienced? The presence of God. And it's like this cycle. I loved God. So I wanted to obey him because I wanted to experience more of him so that I can continue to love him more so that I could get more opportunities to obey him so that all of a sudden I can, do you see this cycle? 
But that's not how I experienced obedience in the real world. Prior to that, obedience was, hey, do this or else that. Sorry, this is expensive. I won't do that again. <laughs> Donald's eyebrows just went up. Like, seriously, Mike? <laughs> but that's how I thought obedience worked. But this doesn't say obedience or else God punishes you and then you will obey. It says obedience is connected to how you love God because you want to experience the presence of God. Do you see the shift in the difference there? Some of you are like, ah, that sounds like a bait and switch, Pastor Mike. I'm not sure. Don't worry. We can argue. We're going to keep on arguing. I got to make this comment, though. Loving Jesus is different than obeying Jesus. Did you hear that? You can love Jesus and not obey Jesus, and you can certainly obey Jesus and not love Jesus. Some of you are like, wait, seriously? Yeah, he's saying there's a distinction right here. Now, I believe that the outflow of loving Jesus and spending time with him will lead to obedience. But I certainly don't believe that obeying Jesus will necessarily respond and result in loving Jesus. That's how Pharisees got made, right? A radical group of obeyers and no love. Some of you have experienced that, even just your own church experience. Obey, 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 obey. Hey, obey. What's your problem? Just obey. You want to solve that? I don't care about your circumstance. Obey. And suddenly you feel this incredible weight and it's motivated by guilt and fear and risk aversion. And Jesus doesn't imply any of those things. He says, you love me. And out of that love flows obedience. And with that obedience comes more nearness. And with that nearness comes more love. And with that love comes, I want to obey even more. What a powerful picture of how obedience unlocks the potential for closer relationship. You know this is true in your own personal relationships. Married folks, sons, daughters. There's two kinds of obedience and some foster closeness and intimacy and life and some not so much. When I'm with my beautiful bride, and she needs some help or something, and I commit. And I, don't, I don't feel this sense of, oh, she's going to withhold her love for me if I don't do the thing she needs. That's not how I'm motivated. I'm motivated because I know she loves me. I want to step into what she needs so that I can work with her, so that I can demonstrate my love, so we can be closer. Isn't that awesome? You know that's true. Yet somehow we get this picture, because someone probably behind something like this stood before you and said, obey, obey, or else the wrath of God will be upon you. And you're just like, oh, risk aversion, you got me, whatever. But it was never about closeness. It was never about intimacy, and it was certainly never about being near to God. Paul says, minus, minus the love, no matter what you say, you're just a clinging symbol. Love is certainly the critical component. Which takes us to our hero today, Noah, and this radical, insane obedience that he demonstrates. You know, I was thinking there's so many ways to talk about Noah. Noah's a great character. I, I mentioned this before in a message, but I just, I'm, <laughs> Jesus, I'm baffled at how Noah became like the primary nursery theme for Christians to use of Bible stories because the Noah story is an absolutely horrific 
story. And explaining the Noah story to children is one of the hardest stories in the entire scriptures to try to break down for children saying, well, God was kind of frustrated with the whole world. So he killed them all. But let's paint giraffes in your room. Um, <laughs> Cause giraffes are adorable in a nursery, right? And I, I'm not, if you got no in your room, I mean, just do it, it's fun, it's awesome. Just make sure when you paint the water, there's all the little people floating underneath that you paint. No. All right, and amen, we're done. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am, I kid because I love. Um, <laughs> But the Noah story is an amazing, incredible story. So there's so many things that we learn from the Noah story. So I'm going to give us, as we introduce Noah, because it does span a lot of space, um, the top 10 lessons that we could learn uh, from Noah, and then we'll walk into one. So these are, these are Noah's top 10, all right? So the top 10 things, lessons that we learn from Noah. So I could preach any of these, and it would be pretty good. Uh, number 10, don't miss the boat. <laughs> don't miss the boat. Come on now, that'll preach. That'll preach. There's a boat. You don't want to miss it. Otherwise, you get drawn somewhere else. Number nine, remember, hey, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We're all experiencing the same thing. Number eight, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Plan ahead, guys. It certainly wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Yeah, number seven, stay fit. The biggest event of his life required working until he was 600 years old. <laughs> just let that settle in for a second. All right, number six, don't listen to critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. Yeah, some of you need to just write that down and you'll be good for the day. Stop listening to the critics. Good. Number five, <laughs> build your future on high ground. <laughs> build your future on high ground. The rains are gonna come. Number four, speed isn't everything. The snails were on board with the cheetahs. <laughs> they all got on board. Good. Number three, <laughs> when you're stressed, just float a while. Just float a while. Let God do this, what he's doing. Good. Number two, the ark was built by an amateur, the Titanic by professionals. <laughs> so don't convince me that you don't have the training to do what God's called you to do. All right, last lesson. No matter what the storm, obey God, and there's a rainbow waiting. No matter what storm you're experiencing, obey God, and there's a rainbow waiting. We're going to talk about obedience today. Uh, a fun way to experience Noah uh, is going to be some movie clips. And so this is from Evan Almighty. Take a look, and we'll keep going. What are you doing? Do we have anything unleavened? Yeah, we do. It's in the back next to the frankincense and myrrh. We have a fancy name for it in this century. It's called pita. Got it. Evan, what is happening to you? Don't, no, just put it down. Look at you, the hair, it, are you on something? Is it a, a mega growth hormone, what? Evan, talk to me. I'm building an ark. What does that mean? God appeared to me and told me to build an ark. He said there was going to be a flood and that I should be prepared. Whenever I shave, my beard grows right back out. My hair grows longer every day. This rope, God sent me the robe. I thought it would be funny. I actually think it's really comfortable. 
why I'm wearing it. The beard, the robe, you're Noah? Yeah, kind of. Mom? Not now, Noah! D Dylan? We left everything behind to come here. Maybe that's put too much pressure on you. I don't know. But this has got to stop. Please, you're scaring me. The boys need their father back, and I need my husband back. I love um, the depiction of how crazy it would be for us if in a modern picture, God asked us to do something radical like that. It's easy to think, well, yeah, thousands and thousands of years ago, Noah had to deal with that. But what if God asked you? What if God spoke to you about something radical, a step of faith that you'd have to do? Would you have the courage not only to do it, but the obedience to face opposition. See, Noah's in the hall of faith. I'm going to read to you um, from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 7, and I'm going to actually read to you this verse, just this one verse um, from what's called the message. It's a uh, version of the Bible that was created by a pastor, scholar, author, poet, Eugene Peterson. So it's like a poetic take on the Bible. It's not a word-for-word translation. Uh, so that's not the intention of this. It's to poetically kind of express some of the ideas of the scripture. And then we'll get to Genesis chapter 6, and we'll read it in, uh, in, in the stalwart uh, faith that you guys are waiting for me to do. So I want you to see this picture. This is a poetic take on Noah. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. Think about that for just a moment. They don't have 18 wheelers and backhoes and heavy equipment. And he's building not a boat. He's building an ark, a giant ship. And he's hundreds of miles from the ocean. Think of the faith it takes. Think of the explanation daily. Hey, what you doing there? Oh, building a boat. Looks like a big boat. Yeah, there's no ocean here. That boat's bigger than the closest body of water. How would you even consider getting that there? It says, by faith, he built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see. And he acted on what he was told. I love this picture. He was warned about a flood that was coming. In his time period, they had never experienced rain. He had no picture for what that would look like. Water actually came up from the ground. The dew of the water is what watered the earth at this point, okay? There had not been rain. So something entirely foreign to him is explained. God says, I'm gonna do something that you've never seen before. And so you're gonna have to, could we follow and obey God if he said, I'm gonna do something you've never seen before? No one's ever seen it before. I'm gonna do something. Get ready. The result? Oh, let's, let's stop first. And he acted on what he was told. Man, he didn't just hear it. He didn't just go, ooh, that sounds important. He picked up some tools. He started chopping trees. The result, his family was saved. 
His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. Now, I want to just leave this up here for a second. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. I love that picture. It's exactly what Jesus is going to describe thousands of years later. As a result, he heard from the Lord and he acted on it. His family was saved, but he became intimate. See, the second thing I want you to catch here that's critically important is obedience always leads to intimacy. Healthy obedience, it leads to intimacy. What is intimacy? It's closeness. It's nearness. It's a detailed knowledge of. It's a deep understanding of. And, and I, was, I was trying to process this out. And I was like, does the Bible really indicate that the reward for obedience is intimacy? Is that true? And so I started going through the scriptures. And I'm just going to hit a few like quickly for you here. Genesis 15.1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Do you hear God saying what the reward is? Don't be afraid. Stay close to me. Trust me and I'll be your shield. I am what is your reward. Psalm 8410, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Time and time again, the the reward is nearness to God. Psalm 1611, you've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with the internal pleasure of your right hand. The presence of God is the thing that fills us with joy. The presence of God is the reward for that obedience. New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, how we can thank God enough in return for all the joy we've had in the presence of our God. Philippians 4, 8, and 9, you know this. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything's excellent praiseworthy. Think about those such things. Whatever you've learned and received from me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, aim for, protect, for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Time and time again, Old Testament, New Testament, the picture of what it means to be rewarded by God is always intimacy and closeness and nearness with God. That's the reward. He is our very great reward. Now, <laughs> I don't know if any of you are pet people, or especially even if you're a dog person. I've had two dogs in my adult life, an amazing one and another one. <laughs> I currently have no pets and am in no hurry to get one. My amazing dog, Bailey, I got when Christine and I uh, were married, but without kids. And Bailey, I could train to do anything. I mean, this dog would run and catch Frisbees. He'd jump through hoops. He'd roll over. Just, any, any trick that I could figure out would be a cool trick, he would just do. And I would spend time with him. I'd come home from work. We'd go out in the backyard. We'd work on stuff. And he was just, he was fun. We would play. We would do stuff. And this dog, I'm telling you, I could, I could cook a steak, put it on a plate, and set it on the ground, and he would not mess with it. He would just look at me like, seriously, is that for me or for you? And if I didn't say, hey, come get it, nothing. He would leave it. I could leave the house. I could come back. It would be there. It was amazing. Bailey passed on, and we were living in the shack, and there were mice and snakes and 
animals and critters on all this acreage that we lived on. And I decided we needed a dog, just something big in the house. So we went and got Callie kind of on a whim. Now at this point, we had a five-year-old, a one-year-old, and we were pregnant. Maybe a two-year-old and we were pregnant. So Callie shows up and she's this big ball of energy. And I come home and guess what I don't have time to do all day? Yeah, hang out with her and coach her and train her. So I start trying to reward method, right? You just take this reward and do this. And I'm trying to train her, I'm trying to train her, trying to train her. And she's, when there's a reward present, she's pretty good. But as soon as that reward isn't present, see you later. She's chaos, right? Now her, I could have a steak on the grill and she'll knock the grill over and take the steak off the floor, right? And she'll just look at me like, what? What are you gonna do about it? And this dog was insane. She would never listen. And here's what I learned. Rewards and punishment didn't lead to obedience. Time and closeness did. Intimacy did. I thought rewards and punishments could shortchange the process. It could not. Only time and intimacy could do it. It was true in the pet world. Translate it to your world. And we get frustrated. And we think somehow obedience is a, is a it's an entitling of an award or a reward. And God's saying, the treat and the punishment thing, that doesn't work. That's not true obedience. Obedience happens out of intimacy and closeness and nearness, and a desire to please and love one another. That's when obedience works. I got to just push on this for a second, okay? Some of the most frustrated Christians that I know are the most obedient. They're obedient. I've been reading my word. I've been praying. I'm not swearing. I don't watch anything over G, right? Like, I'm obedient. Why isn't this working? Because behavior modification was never the goal. And something happens in us when we start feeling like I've done what I'm supposed to do. So now God needs to do what I expect. Whoo, did you hear that? I think I've done what I'm supposed to do. So why hasn't God done what I expect him to do? As if there's some quid pro quo with God. I did this, now you do this for me. And it leads to frustrated but pious believers. I'm holy. I do what I'm supposed to do. I got to be honest with you. If we feel like the creator of the universe is somehow indebted to us because of our behavior, the arrogance in our heart and soul is the same sin that took Satan out of heaven. It displaced him from the heavenlies. And then we wonder why heaven won't come to earth in our life. And we feel like God's indebted to us. Are you kidding me? The reward was always the presence. And if the presence isn't good enough, nothing else will be. Nothing else would satisfy. Nothing else would do it. I don't know if you got that. I don't know if that got into your core, but I hope, I hope you go back and listen. I hope to, somehow that catches into you. 
If the presence isn't good enough, nothing ever will be. It's the only thing that's promised. I'll be near, I'll be near, I'll be near. Now the fruit of that nearness is amazing. There's all kinds of promises connected to his nearness, but the nearness is the goal. If it's dispassionate, obligational faith, it's not faith. It's fear-driven, or it's even worse, manipulative. God will not be mocked. He will not be manipulated. So here's Noah. That was pretty good. You guys might be done now. I don't know how much further I need to go. Some of you are just like, I need to chew on that for a little while. And I'm not saying, God, that was the Lord just doing what he needs to do. Here's Noah. Let's get into his story a little bit. Uh, Genesis chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9. It says, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Listen to this. And he did what? He walked faithfully with God. Let's just stop right there. In Noah's time, he is the only person who is walking faithfully with God. I got to be honest with you. Some of you who are frustrated at not experiencing more of the presence of God are not willing to have a conversation about what it means to walk faithfully with God. And if obedience, oh man, this is going to be tough. If obedience is hard for you, the first question I'm going to ask is how is your walking faithfully doing? Because if you hate obedience, it's probably because you're not walking faithfully. If you're walking faithfully, obedience is natural. Obedience is an outflow. Obedience is fun. Obedience is its own reward because presence is connected to it. But we don't want to walk faithfully. We don't want to get honest sometimes about what it means to walk faithfully with God. And here's Noah, and he's walking the walk, and he's living the life. He's the odd man out by walking with God. You know, it's a big deal when you're in an environment and nobody else is walking with God to walk with God. It's easy in this room, right? Because everyone here basically agrees with you. Even if you don't really agree with all of us, you'll fake it to get through the hour so your friend or spouse or whatever will be happy so you can go to lunch and have peace and you know, watch the game. I don't know, but at least you'll fake it in this environment. But you get outside of this environment, come on now, and you're in environments where you're the only one standing up for God. It is much easier to just bury that than to actually walk with God in those environments. And here's Noah, surrounded by a culture who would look at his walking with God as an absurdity, who would look at his walking with God as something to be uh, mocked, who would constantly want to push shame on him and mocking on him. And it says he walked faithfully with God. He was blameless among the people of his time. His obedience starts well before the ark, well before the command. His obedience is simply to be in the presence of God. It's crazy that he walked so closely with God that he was literally the only person on earth that God was talking to at that time. That's like a mind blower. The whole rest of the planet was disconnected and unable to hear from God. 
There's a couple of things you can know about that. One, it's possible even in the worst environments to hear from God and walk for God. It's possible. It's possible when no one else is doing it. It's possible when people think that your behavior is absurd for you to say, you know what? We're a distinct people, those, those crazy of us that believe. And so we're not gonna do the thing that you're doing. I can't go. Thanks for the invite, but I can't go into that environment. Thanks for including me, but if this is gonna become a gossip fest, I'm gonna have to remove myself from this environment. I love you guys, but I can't participate. Thanks for, thanks for thinking about, about me, but you know, our, our kids, we don't let them experience the thing that you guys are gonna go do. So go, you know, God bless you, but I can't do that. Whoo! You wanna have some awkward next day conversations, but we won't even try to walk with God. We haven't even got the, to the mission and the assignment of God yet. We're just talking about going through life, trying to walk with God. And Noah, in the presence of all of these that would not, simply said, hey, hey, for me, I will. Walking with God leads to hearing with, from God. Here we go. Verse 13. Oh, where did I get to? Um, where was that? Verse 10. All right. So Noah had some sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Verse 13. So God said to Noah, I'm gonna put an end to all people. Here's the story. It gets harder to explain, right? For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely gonna destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark out of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is crazy. I don't know how God talked to Noah. I'd love to know how God spoke to him. I don't know if it was an audible voice. I know God can speak in an audible voice. I know we see it in scripture, him speaking in an audible voice. I know when Jesus got baptized, it was like, whoo, here's my son. All right, the voice, we all heard, they all heard it. I mean, audible voice is a thing that God can do. I know in the prophets, sometimes he spoke through dreams. Sometimes he spoke through uh, visions. I know he can use a burning bush. I know he can use a wind. I don't know what he did, but I know that Noah had been walking close enough with God to recognize this is the voice of God. When we're walking with him, we learn to hear his voice. It's one of those crazy benefits of obedience. Sometimes when we feel like we haven't heard from God in a long time, again, the question is, how's your walk? So Noah goes and builds an ark. Even though he hasn't seen anything yet, he's never seen a flood, he's never seen rain, he lives nowhere close to the ocean, and God calls him to something that doesn't look familiar. And I think about my own life and I think, man, could I obey God? Could I obey God if he called me to something that didn't look familiar, that didn't look like it was in my skill set, that didn't look like it was fitting with my plan? Could I really believe and obey God in that kind of situation? Then he gives them instructions on how to do it. And I love this. It's like the most profound Ikea project you've ever seen. He's like, this is how you're supposed to build it. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it. Finish the ark, uh, 18 inches at the top. Put a door on the side of the ark. Make it lower, uh, middle, and upper decks. I'll bring floodwaters on the earth, and I'll destroy all life in the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on the earth will perish. But I'll establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You're to bring the ark on the ark, two of all the living creatures, male and female, and keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird and every animal and every 
every kind of creature that moves along the ground so that they can be kept alive. You're to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away for you as food. And verse 22 is amazing. So Noah did some of the things that God commanded him. Why are you giggling? Because you can read? Or because it sounds absurd? Both. Verse 22, catch this. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. I was absolutely, absolutely laughing, thinking about what it must have looked like to build a, 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 a football field and a half length boat with the tools that he must have had available to him, chopping down trees. I'm imagining that this didn't pay during that time. So I don't know. We're going to still talk a little bit about what his day job probably was. But how is he surviving in that time? He could only pull so much resource from his family or they're not going to eat. So they're still working and doing their day jobs. I was thinking about when God calls us to do things that are hard. How we drift to the path of least resistance so often. I've sat with people in my office and I'm not even talking about addiction. I'm just talking about opportunities that they know aren't good for them. And it's hard to say no when there's an easy way out. It's hard to not think the easy way out must be God's mercy on me, right? And so it's like, well, I'm gonna pursue this thing God has for me, but I'm gonna run from this easy thing. And then, oh, I pulled a hammy. Oh, 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 the easy way is the way I'll end up going because, you know, that thing was difficult. Pursuing God was hard. Working through this relationship was hard. Standing for what was right was hard. Avoiding that sin was hard. All those things were hard and challenging and required obedience, and this was the easier way. And time and time again, people choosing the easier way. So you have this amazing story. Noah builds the ark. The floodwaters come. The animals start boarding. It takes you through the rest of chapter six and into chapter seven. God gives all of these directions. And then look at chapter seven, verse five. We just also remember, and Noah did all the things the Lord commanded to him. Time and time again in the story, you hear Noah said, all the things you ask God, I'll just do. That kind of radical obedience, time and time and time again. He's again and again obeying. <laughs> Here comes Noah just doing everything God commanded him. I want you to catch something in the story that I never really caught as I read this. I want you to think about how long it took him to build the ark. The grind of that experience. I began doing the math just in the scriptures. And there's some margin in the scriptures. But let me just tell you this. There is no way mathematically, based on the scriptural account, that Noah spent less than 60 years assembling the ark. I want you to think about that for a second. Getting up every day and working on that project. The large estimate is up to 120 years. Between 60 and 120 years, he built something that everyone in his time looked at him and said, you're crazy. You're crazy for doing it. Can you imagine, I mean, generations of kids are growing up 
and having kids, and those kids mocked him, and now their kids are old enough to go say, ha, there's the crazy guy building a boat nowhere near the water. What would it look like for us if God's assignment took that kind of time to complete? We can't handle if God's assignment isn't done before the school year's over. Yet here's God saying, you do this. And Noah's saying, I'll do this. And God's saying, it's gonna take a while. Noah's like, cool. Because every day I get up, everyone supports me. No. Every day I get up. That's why I love that video with Evan's wife, like, seriously? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I heard from God. And I can't not do the thing God's called me to do. But we don't understand why a boat? Why do this thing? Do something useful, build a mill, something like a barn, something we can use. What's the purpose of this thing God's called you to do? Sixty years, and then he gets on the boat, and it starts raining. And we don't know how long that took, but here's something I want you to catch: it was much more than forty days. He's on the boat. I think we get this picture: it rained for forty days. They got in the boat. Woo! Forty days was over. No, 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 no. Much longer than that. Those waters had to recede. Most conservative estimates, here's a hint, more than 370 days he's on the boat. Most conservative estimates. So here's Noah for years doing that. And I wonder, could I follow God if the thing he called me to do took five years to do? If it was a five-year investment, would I be obedient for five years? If God said, hey, this is your mission, it's gonna take 10 years. You're gonna give 10 years of your life to this mission. And everyone's going to think you're crazy. There's not going to be any fruit along the way. No financial blessing. The only blessing is that you get to obey me in that time. Could I do it for 10 years? Could I do it for 15? Could I spend 15 years of my life obeying God without financial provision and blessing directly connected to that obedience? Could I spend 15 years of my life doing that? Could I do it for 20? What's my breaking point? At what point would you say, God, I'm throwing in the towel. I gave you seven years. I worked on this thing, on this project. What's the length and the breadth and the width of my obedience? Let's take a look at one more clip. Oh, excuse me, can I get a refill, please? Coming right up. Excuse me, are you all right? Yeah. No, it's a long story. Well, I like stories. I'm considered a bit of a storyteller myself. My husband? Have you heard of New York's Noah? <laughs> the guy who's building the ark. That's him. I love that story. Noah and the ark. You know, a lot of people miss the point of that story. They think it's about God's wrath and anger. They love it when God gets angry. What is the story about then, the ark? Well. I think it's a love story about believing in each other. You know, the animals showed up in pairs. They stood by each other, side by side. 
just like Noah and his family. Everybody entered the ark side by side. But my husband says God told him to do it. What do you do with that? Sounds like an opportunity. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? So Noah obeys, and the fruit of that obedience is his entire family gets spared. They get on the ark, it rains, and then it rains, and then it rains, and then it rains. And through the wildest storm the earth has ever seen, the protection, the provision, and ultimately the presence of God is available to him. Was it worth it? See, we all have the benefit of hindsight. And one of the ways that I'm challenged as we read about these heroic folks is they didn't have the hindsight. I don't know what it must have felt like around year 30, around year 35, getting up, grabbing my homemade tools, pulling a log that I had to chop down, shaving the bark off, placing it onto the ark. I don't know what it must have felt like to encounter the ridicule. But I know he was never alone. And I know that the reward for his obedience was presence, was intimacy, and was ultimately the salvation of his family. But even greater than that, all of us are related to Noah. How cool is that? There's not one of us in the room who's not related to know his obedience is our story that it is possible to stay close to God and trust him and have intimacy with him that leads to a, a life of doing what God called us to do which unleashes the protection the provision and the presence of God in our lives that's amazing that's our family story that's us that's pretty cool Let's flash forward to the end of Noah's life, Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. It's not quite the end of his life, but the end of this piece of his story. The boat lands, and then God speaks to Noah again. And here's the theme, chapter 9, verse 8. He says, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him. So they got to hear this time, which is great. I wonder if they got to hear at any other point. God was merciful, like around year 40. It was like, Ham, help your father carry that tree. And he's like, whoa, okay, cool. All right, I'm in, right? Or if it was just Noah, like, please help me, God said. I'm not sure. This is pretty merciful, though. It says, he spoke to Noah and his sons with them. Verse nine, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, and that came out of the ark with you, and every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off the waters, uh, by the waters of a flood. Never again will a flood 
uh, there'd be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign and the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. And never again will the waters become. You know how many times he affirms that you're not gonna have to go through this again? He's just like, Trust me, we're done with this, Noah. And whenever the rainbow appears, verse 16, uh, in the clouds, I'll see it and I'll remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Verse 17, so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and you and all life on earth. And I love that God's like covenant, nearness, relationship, closeness, presence, promise, all connected to your obedience. It will always be available to you. I don't know. It's hard sometimes to obey, but I don't know if I would trade anything for the presence. The greatest thing I can get is the presence. Noah's obedience led to a promise. Your obedience will lead to realizing God's promise. Noah's obedience led to a new promise, a new covenant. Your obedience will lead to the completion of God's promise. One more time in case you didn't catch that. Noah's obedience led to the promises of God being displayed on his life. Your obedience will lead to the promises of God. You're like, oh, it's been so long. Yeah, I know. Oh, I think the promises should look like this. Yeah, I know. The promise is the presence, the nearness of God, the fact that you're not in it alone. So let me ask you this question. Where's your opportunity to obey? In your life, in your moment, in your situation, what's the thing? What's the obedience piece for you? I can't answer this question. I sat and stared into space and thought of all of the potential things that could be the thing that you're called to obey. I know his word, but I don't know what God's spoken to you. I don't know what promises are in your heart. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I haven't heard anything from God. And I'd say, great, how's your walking with God? Maybe the start for you of this journey is just trusting God enough to walk with him, to begin to learn to hear his voice. Some of you, you've never trusted God and begun walking with him. It's never been relational. It's always been conditional I do it because I'm afraid of the consequences of not doing it, or it's been manipulative. I do it because I want some ancillary benefit from following God. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Why don't you just learn to walk with me? Why don't you just learn to have the presence? Why don't you just learn to experience the presence? Where's your opportunity to obey? What area do you need to be heroic in? It's pretty challenging to think about that. It's amazing to me that someone can live their whole life, their whole life, and be obedient to some things in here and never know what it's like to walk with God. What a waste. What a miss. What a whiff. I'm not trying to call you to some kind of religious manipulation and behavior modification. Noah's story is that it's heroic to walk with God when no one else is doing it. 
And that heroism gives you what you need to have the confidence that you can do what God's called you to do, that you could obey him every day, every step along the way. That's what his presence is like. I'm gonna do something different to kind of close. And sometimes I do things like this and I just try to give you things to kind of keep in your hands and think about. So I'm gonna call the ushers up and we're gonna actually pass out to you. They're just building blocks. And, uh, and as you get the building block, I want you to hold on to it. But the reason that I'm just giving you a building block is because I couldn't figure out how to answer this question for you. And I wanted to challenge you to answer it. Is the question about walking with God and experiencing that? And is that the building block you need? Is, have you been walking with God and there's an obedience piece you've been avoiding? Have you been obedient averse? Because if you've been obedience averse, I'm certain you've been presence missing the presence. You've been short on presence. Ouch. Let's not do that. So I'm going to play one more final clip. It's from kind of the end of the movie. Um, the flood has come and gone. And if you haven't seen the movie, have fun. You, you know, uh, you do what you, God allows you to do watching movies wise and watch it if you'd like. Um, this is from a Christian website that I pulled this just in case some of you are judging me right now. Okay. So, so, uh, so it was <laughs> where that's at. Um, these are just going to get passed around as this is going. And so listen, this is kind of cool. They're in the offering baskets. So this is the only time in church history that I want you to reach into the offering basket and pull out of the offering basket. <laughs> See, some of you are enjoying it. You're like, yeah, I'm glad I came to church today. I've never had this experience before. Pull out one of those blocks, hold on to it, and then we'll pray together at the end here. Hey. Hey. What are you doing here? Just hanging out with some old friends. You knew all along, didn't you? You knew the dam was unstable. It hadn't been for the ark, my family, the neighbors. I fought you every step of the way. Yes, but you did it. So you had nothing to do with the flood? Like where the ark landed exactly? I gave you a little shove at the end. Sue me. <laughs> you did good, son. You changed the world. No, no, I didn't. Well, let's see. Spending time with your family, making them very happy. Gave that dog a home. <laughs> right, so? So, how do we change the world? One act of random kindness at a time. One act of random kindness. Wow. <laughs> it's time. Do the dance. Care to join me? Sorry, if you haven't watched that movie by now, it's not my fault. Um, the last thing I want you to just catch is this. Obedience changes the world. Obedience is...
the thing that Noah exhibited that actually protected all of mankind. Obedience is what Jesus communicated would cause the presence of God to be with people. And suddenly the courage level to obey God in the midst of a culture where nobody else was doing it sprouted up in this small group of people. Less people than are in this room today made a commitment to obey God and experience his presence and be near him. And they literally changed the world. Obedience changes the world.